Welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate voices across William & Mary's campus. My name is Jenny Helmendaller, and today we are joined again by the wonderful and incomparable Dr. Kelly Crace, the Associate Vice President for Health and Wellness. Thank you, and thank you for your kind words. Absolutely. So today we're going to talk about something that I think is really relevant on this campus, and that is imposter syndrome. So let's unpack that. It sounds great. It's not only relevant for this campus, but it's just relevant for all of us because it's a human thing. What exactly is imposter syndrome? So I think it's important when we talk about the imposter syndrome to kind of clarify both what it is and what it's not. Typically, when we think of the imposter syndrome, we think of that there's a difference between what a person perceives about themselves on the inside and what they show on the outside. And with the imposter syndrome, that difference is often fear-centered. That kind of leads to describing what imposter syndrome is not, because there are often times where what people show to their world and what they feel on the inside is not fear-centered. It can be very healthy. There are times where it can be value-centered. For instance, they may have a confidence about themselves, but they don't necessarily project that outwardly because of a value of humility, that they don't want to be the center of attention or they don't want to draw attention to themselves or to their confidence or to their accomplishments. But inside, their humility is not because of insecurity. It's because of a belief system around being humble. It's the same thing with privacy. There are some, some people that prefer to kind of have their life more private. And so they share less outwardly or they show less outwardly. But it's not because of fear. It's more because of a value system they have or a preference they have. With the imposter syndrome, there's this, there's a level of masking that's going on that a person needs to kind of put on a mask of capability or put on a mask of fearlessness when on the inside they struggle with confidence or they struggle with fear. And because of that, they see that as at some level I'm putting on a mask to show the world because I'm afraid of what would happen if the world saw me for who I was. So based on what you just said, it sounds like imposter syndrome is more of a thing where you are playing someone that is not your true self, that you're playing a role rather than you're trying to show your true self, but deep inside you feel that that's not actually the true self. Right. That, that It can be about the fear that if I show completely who I am, my my fears, my feelings, my thoughts around things, a fear of how that might interact with the world around me. There's also times when I'm not sure of who I am. I'm still growing in my sense of identity. And, you know, in emerging adulthood and young adulthood, we're still trying to clarify who we are. And in that lack of confidence or lack of knowledge yet, I'm still trying on who I am. We will pick certain ways of behaving that we think can get us through that time. So some of that can be very healthy. Like until I have a sense of what is integrity for me, one, I know what being a student's like. So I'm going to, I'm going to play a good student until I figure this out in terms of who else am I besides a student, or I don't know if I'll be a good college student. I've been a good high school student, but I don't know if I'll be a good college student. I don't even know what being a college student means. And so I'm going to step into what I know and I'm going to keep my eyes open and look around me and try to find a way to step into this. And it's kind of that, you know, fake it till I make it is try to, let me just try this on for a little while until I can develop that confidence. In many ways, a lot of this can be very healthy. In other ways, it can be unhealthy. And that's what we have to understand in terms of why is this occurring in the first place? That determines kind of whether it moves from healthy to normal to unhealthy. 
Yeah. And as a college student at a place like William & Mary, I think imposter syndrome is really common here. I know that, of course, I fall into those thought patterns sometimes myself, um, but that just begs the question, why Why does it happen? What factors are contributing there? Yeah. So um, do we have about four or five hours here? Because we could <laughs> unpack this. We could have a conversation for a long time oh, about yeah. the many reasons why this occurs. And so I want to be careful that when we describe some of the reasons why we've seen that it occurs, recognizing that, you know, we may miss a few, that there's some gaps. Someone may listen to this and say, well, that, that doesn't apply to me. There's so many individualized reasons as to why this might develop, and we need to honor the uniqueness of that. But a way of kind of thinking about it is, is kind of on a continuum. And part of it is also amplified in this generational cohort of young adulthood that is different than 100 years ago when I was a young adult. Part of this is, starts off to be very healthy, and what I mean by that is as an adolescent, we don't have enough knowledge about ourselves to be completely self-assured. You know, any adolescent that says, I'm completely comfortable with who I am and what I am as a person, we've, we've just not matured into a place and our brain is not ready to fully be confident in that self-knowledge. And so one of the ways we learn about who we are is to look around us. So what does it mean to be a good student? We look around. And what does it mean to be a, a good friend? We look around. We kind of watch other people and look for data around us to learn about who we are. That's very healthy. The difference, though, today as compared to many years ago is when I was an adolescent, I dealt with adolescent stress. And so I could grow into that kind of learning about myself at a level that was better paced. In today's world, when you were an adolescent, you were dealing with adult-level stress. Young adults today and adolescents of today get hit with a lot of adult-level stress as an adolescent. And so that can actually be really overwhelming. And that's where this begins. I'm overwhelmed by the information I'm receiving. My own brain is not actually ready or mature enough to effectively process this. So I have to find a way of managing this, and we will find ways. We'll either try to perfectionistically control or we'll avoid or escape or we'll lock into an identity. I'm an athlete. I'm a student. I'm this. I'm that. And we'll lock into that as a way of trying to find some level of grounding through the overwhelming nature of this information. Then as we kind of grow into this as a young adulthood and as a college student in high school and moving into college, you really do start having the maturity to kind of, who am I? And asking these questions of what are my multiple identities and how do I clarify that? It's at that time that you want to start moving toward an internal focus and comparing less and being more curious and wondering at an internal level where you can start having some of those existential questions of what is my meaning? What is my purpose? What matters to me? And that's why we spend so much time doing that in college is to hit that developmental, rich, fertile ground of making sure we support students while they're asking those questions. However, if you're asking those questions in an environment that is fast-paced and fast-moving and still very focused on performance and outcomes and comparative evaluation, that is really hard. What's very normal in human is if you care, and if you are value-centered, you're always reminded of the uncertainty around those things that I care about. And so that uncertainty can cause insecurity. I now clarified that my friendship with Jenny is incredibly important to me. 
And as soon as I find out how important that is to me, my first question is, what if? What if I lose Jenny as a friend? Mm -hmm. And so in that insecurity and in that uncertainty, I might be aware of that insecurity. But how much do I want to show that to you? How much do I want to show you that feeling of vulnerability and uncertainty and insecurity? And so in these times, when it, what it looks like normally is we're just comparing our insides to other people's outsides. So here I am kind of feeling insecure about my friendship with Jenny. But when I look around, everybody else seems so secure in their friendships. Everybody acts like they're so confident in their friendships. When I look around in class, everyone else looks so much more prepared for this exam than I do. They look so much more ready for this kind of level of education than I do. That's just very normal and human because it's centered around the uncertainty of what we care about. When it moves into something unhealthy is when we start making conclusions from that insecurity of it moves from I'm nervous about the uncertainty in my life to a conclusion that I'm not enough, that in this insecurity I believe or I start to believe that I'm not enough. And in that conclusion, we then develop this compensatory mindset. I have to be more than who I am. So then you develop the super persona of, for me to be enough, I have to be more than who I am. And that makes us feel even more like an imposter. And so in my insecurity about class, I'm acting like I'm really confident. And I kind of say, no, I didn't really stay for this test at all when I stayed up all night for it, just because I wanted to show people how brilliant I am or to try to present that persona. We also have to recognize that there are times in people's lives where messages or life experiences they have received can affect a person's sense of enoughness. So if I am told every day of my life growing up that I am worthless or that I am not enough or that I don't have value, sooner or later there's a part of me that believes that. There's a part of me that absorbs that. And in that absorbed to belief in that belief that I must not be enough because the people in my life that are supposed to be the ones that take care of me are telling me I'm not enough. Well, there must be part of that that's true. That's a deeper level of non-belief of being enough that one really has to work hard to work through that. And it does involve college level kind of maturity and development to really start challenging that, you know, I've been raised with this. I'm not sure that message was right. And that's when, when they receive feedback from other people with a professor that exclaims, you know, how admiring they are of their work or a friend that expresses value and appreciation of their friendship. That's when they start getting these conflicting messages of, well, this is different than what I've been told growing up. So that conflict can lead to something very healthy. It's tough, but it can lead to something very healthy where they start challenging old traumas or old messages it's the same thing with individuals that have marginalized identities in our world that are taught that they have less value. How do I work through that and find a way to find a sense of peace and a message where I'm often being told I'm not enough? And something that just popped into my head was you are talking about different life circumstances. Yeah. Are there any external factors that are compounding the feeling of comparison? For instance, what popped into my mind right now is the pandemic. Like, oh, what, yeah. what has that done? Absolutely. The interesting thing about the pandemic of what we're seeing some of the consequences around that as it relates to the imposter syndrome is both kind of good and bad. Mm. On the good end, everybody was insecure around the pandemic. Everybody was scared. Everybody was overwhelmed at one point or another. And so in this kind of societal global level of insecurity and fear, 
it allowed almost a normality of us for us to all feel insecure and uncertain. It was no longer an imposter. It was like we were all feeling this, and it was okay for us to all show it. Like no one was going around saying, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it, when we were really scared. Everyone was showing their fear. Everyone was showing, not everyone, but you know what I mean. Most people were showing their vulnerability in this. And so there almost was this kind of reset of normality of allowing us to be vulnerable and show our vulnerability around things that were really impacting us. The negative consequence of it can be a compensatory mindset to where I've been so affected by this and I was overwhelmed by it. And now we're back to quote unquote normal in these endemic situations. And now I need to make up for, I need to, I need to compensate that I didn't have this got cheated out on my junior and senior year of high school. I need this year to be a great year. We start developing expectations of ourselves and the world around us. And if those expectations aren't met, it really puts us in this kind of need state where I need this to happen. And if it's not happening, it can cause a lot of anxiety, which then just fosters that imposter syndrome even more. Mm-hmm. Expectations are killer. No, I definitely, yeah. during the pandemic, since the pandemic was my first year of college and like most of my second, coming into, you know, sophomore, junior year, I, every year I've been like, okay, my expectations this year are that it's better and that I do more and that I like just feel better all around. And when that doesn't happen, then it just makes me feel more left down, like let down by myself. And when those expectations turn in, those expectations drift into needs. So I need it to be better. I need for this to happen. And when it doesn't, A good way of thinking about it is the severity of our emotional reaction to something is based on the difference between what our expectations are and what reality is. Mm -hmm. So if there's a big difference between expectations and what we actually experience, there's a big reaction. The reason why there wasn't a big reaction the first year, you know, we came back to school in the middle of the pandemic is no one knew what to expect. Mm -hmm. Everybody came in thinking, I don't know if this is going to work or not. And so the expectations were at a place that was closer to reality. When we need it to be different and when it's not that way, that's when we start wondering, okay, is it because of it being around me or is it because of something wrong with me or something not enough Mm -hmm. in me? And that's where it can start to turn unhealthy. Yeah, like all of a sudden you are hinging your mental health and sense of self on things that you can't control. Can't control. So the uncertainty is higher and therefore the insecurity is higher. So if I'm putting all my apples in this barrel of this event next week for this semester to be a success to me, and I know for sure I don't completely control how it's going to be, my insecurity around that event is is going to be much higher. Mm -hmm. And therefore the imposter syndrome is going to be felt more strongly. And it's hard. It's hard to avoid those feelings. So that just brings us to the huge question. You said we develop imposter syndrome by comparing ourselves to others. So what do we do about that? How do we develop a sense of self without comparison to others? Yeah, the interesting thing about the imposter syndrome in terms of what do we do about it is very similar to kind of the issue of grief. Grief and how we experience grief is just so individualized. It's different for everyone. It's such a unique experience. And so it's widely variable as to how people experience grief. But what you do about it is pretty common. It's the same thing with the imposter syndrome. There are so many different reasons why we might not feel we're enough. But what you do about it is pretty clear. And the nice thing about it is it's not complex. It's really simple, but it's really hard to do. The work is hard. But it's really simple, and it's really kind of deconstructing 
what enoughness is. If you come back to the aspect that the imposter syndrome at its heart is about a questioning of whether or not I'm enough. And in that, if we actually deconstruct what enoughness is, it's about redefining that. Instead of redefining enoughness by what other people judge about me, what the world says about me, to being something about two things. That enoughness is characterized by one, do I have the capacity to clarify what matters to me? And two, do I have the capacity to act on that in a healthy way? And if the answer is yes to both of those, then you are enough. Think about that in terms of enoughness. What more is there than the ability to engage in something that matters to me in a healthy way? Well, what matters to me is very personal. And it involves my thoughts, my feelings, my values, my experiences, my culture. That's such a powerful thing of what matters to me. It involves so many parts of our identity that that's a powerful clarification. And then if I can act on that in a healthy way, well, what more is there in life than the ability to engage in things that matter in a healthy way? So the prescription is starting to redefine your worth by the engagement of things that matter to me in a healthy way. That's a real simple formula that we can hold on to and intend. The challenge is that's really hard. Easier that's just really, <laughs> it's easier said than done. And yet so critical and so important to do. Unfortunately, when people learn that often is they learn it experientially after something really bad has happened in their life or something really profound or pivotal has happened in their life. The conversation, the narrative afterwards is, this really taught me what really matters to me. It woke me up as to remind me what really matters. Our work in this is to try to help people do that before that happens, to not have to rely on a transformation or a profound life event You can intend that now. You can work on that now. It's hard, but really, you're replacing one hard for another hard. One hard keeps you stuck. The other hard moves you forward. It's also hard to live every day according to an imposter syndrome. That's exhausting. It's just more familiar. And because it's more familiar, we kind of are more accepting of it. We need to challenge what's familiar and grow into something that's hard but moves us forward. If we are having some issues going after this good hard, what could we do to maybe get some outside help? One of the things that's so important in this is people can very rarely do this completely on their own. Support is so important for that. The support of a friend, a family member, a partner, professional support around. And we want to really help people recognize that that's really the heart of what our health and wellness departments are. Not only our health and wellness departments, but all of the student affairs departments are all intended to help a person clarify what matters to them and opportunities to be able to engage in that both on campus and off, but also how to do that in a healthy way. So the obvious, most direct things are the Counseling Center and CMAX that really focuses on kind of value-centered flourishing But that kind of support that can help a person, one, work through any injuries or hurts that they have that have impacted their own sense of self-efficacy and self-esteem to help them recover and heal through that, but also clarifying who they are and clarifying the direction they want to go. Many of the things that are often in Cohen Career Center are about learning more about who you are as you think about where you're going and how you want to set that up. Every class at William & Mary is designed to challenge you to think and to think in a different way. And what are you learning about yourself as you learn to learn? 
as an adult. So there's so many resources set up. I think the important thing is start with this question. What do I know about myself? What have I clarified about myself? And is there one thing that I want to work on in terms of my self-knowledge about myself that feels relevant right now and move toward that source of resource? It might be about who am I as a physical person and who am I as a spiritual person? Who am I as a sexual person, as a learner? All of these different things. And so there's a lot of support here on campus, but it needs to be individualized as to which question are you asking and what support might be out there to help me find the answer to that? Yeah, find your question. Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Jenny. It's a pleasure being here, and thank you for this work that you do. Absolutely, yeah. And I hope everyone listening feels heard and that they learned something today because I definitely know I did. Thank you also to our sponsor, United Healthcare, for support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Lindsay Heck, Calder Sprinkle, and myself, Jenny Hellman-Dollar.